You're listening to Trail Correspondence presented by The Trek, a media company dedicated to long-distance backpacking. Get even more at thetrek.co. back to Trail Correspondence. I am your host, Moron, and this is the last installment of the wildcard episodes for this season of the show. In general, I have not found things to evangelize for in my life. Those who operate in a way that I see as incorrect have never been worthy of rebuke in my eyes, since I am of the opinion that the truth will eventually out. And it's not my charge to correct others any more than I personally enjoy or seek out unsolicited advice for myself, but then I used a bidet for the first time. I know this can be a delicate topic for the unenlightened to suffer through, but if you're a regular Backpack Radio listener, you've no doubt heard Andrew Skirka talk about his booty management system on more than one occasion, and I have to say that my mouth of the South has certainly drank from his Kool-Aid. While I don't personally advocate the Skirka method per se, when you see the truth broadly, you notice that it manifests itself in many ways, I'm personally partial to my happy bottom bidet, which requires no manual intervention in the pursuit of cleanliness. Moreover, your hands are just as clean before and after its use. A true backcountry novelty. My implement of choice is a telescoping wonder of booty bliss that I now carry with me everywhere and always. I actually experience something I've termed bidet anxiety when traveling without it. And this goes far beyond simply replacing the need for antiquated, barbaric methods of cleaning that involve the use of bleached, processed plant fibers after a run to the privy. As Jello Biafra put it, we are literally wiping our ass with our own future as the strategic use of a bidet is the most effective chafe management I have ever come across. As a thought exercise, consider the following rationalization, and I will try to be as innocent in my description as possible. But traditional methods don't actually remove much of the material that is present. The grit, grime, and general grossness is merely spread around, going from a level of concerningly high concentration to a reduced but no less menacing level. And at a certain point, discomfort, pain, and distraction will result. Compare that to the idea of employing fresh water, I always filtered mine as a point of personal preference. If it doesn't go in the mouth, it doesn't go in the south, I always reasoned. Which removes and refreshes the area of application, ensuring that you get to start again from a truly clean baseline. Add a little bit of biodegradable soap to the mix, and you're really cooking with gas. The longest I ever went on trail without bathing was three weeks. Granted, this was in February, and while the oppressive heat and humidity of the summer was merely a faraway dream on those cold days and nights. I never suffered for this decision, as one of the most problematic places on the human anatomy was always in tip-top shape. I highly encourage anyone listening to give this method a try. Even if it is a bit scary to think about ditching your fictitious parchment, I'd advise using it after your trusted method of choice as a new, final step of the cleaning process. If you're like me, you may eventually come to find, through consistent use, that a half liter of water and a couple shakes of your tail feathers afterwards is all you need to get back to the trail with a renewed pep in your step. I've never looked back. So, as you may not be a true thru-hiker until you shit your pants, as the elders and scribes have pronounced since the first thru-hiker laced up their shoe of choice to explore the unknown at length by foot, you simply can't imagine the elevated stature and well-being after days and days of hiking in the summer heat, knowing without a doubt that your butt is the cleanest part of your body. Not something most can boast about in general, and certainly not a claim to fame held by many a thru-hiker. Alright, how about a palate cleanser, eh? 
I know I'm coming from an esoteric and rarefied segment of the population with my contribution to this week's prompt, so hopefully the rest of the correspondents will have some things to say that are a bit more above the belt, if you'll pardon the pun. Let's get into it. Hey, howdy. This is Allie, aka TC, aka Appalachian Adventurista. I am uh, currently checking in from southern Maine, um, kind of at the base of uh, Sugarloaf Mountain, actually, at the moment. Um, all set up with my hammock outside of a shelter, which is nice to be all set up for the night. Um, for today's wildcard episode, I thought I would just sort of check in about where I'm at on trail <laughs> because, um, yeah, being in Maine in my final state on the AT has come with a lot of, um, interesting emotions and thought processes and, um, being in a tramley of six has come with some logistics and, uh, just kind of a different outlook on, on how we are approaching the end, um, that I don't think is very common. So, um, I just wanted to kind of take the time to talk about our decision process in that regard and also, um, just kind of some of my thoughts kind of as I draw to, um, toward the end here of, of this grand journey. But, um, to start, uh, I guess I'll just share that as a family of six um, and with people coming out to support us at the end of our through hike here, um, myself included, but every single member, member of my family needed to pick essentially a summiting weekend for Katahdin. And because we all wanted to stick together since we've been together this long, um, about a month out, we actually chose uh, a weekend to summit Katahdin. So I actually know what day that will be. And the way that we figured that out was by doing the math of what we realistically thought that we could do um, in terms of mileage and didn't add in any zeros, no contingency days for bad weather. And then the day that we came up with happened to be a Saturday and we added a full week to that, which seems a bit drastic, but our thought process is mostly around the lines of understanding that um, we don't have very long to be out here. And as alluring as it can be to get close to the end and know what, you know, our next steps in life may be and thinking about all the things coming up next that are awesome and exciting and um, important phases of our life, we don't want to rush this one just to get there faster. So I'm, I feel very lucky that I'm in a family that shares that thought process of not wanting to rush the end. And in fact, we're doing the exact opposite. <laughs> we are slowing down. Um, as we can see on the elevation map coming up um, not too long, we should be able to ramp up mileage if we so wanted. Um, but my family is actually not changing our mileage and hasn't since we left the White Mountains. And I'm really excited about that. That slowdown from here to the end gives us time to relish in these last moments on trail, 
and really live deeply before we actually are off trail. Um, I'm just very viscerally aware that (laughs) all of this is going to be a memory very soon, and it's currently not. (laughs) So I want to be out here um, for as long as I can without, you know, drying it on too much, but I want to make sure I'm out here and I'm not rushing this final phase of the trail because Maine is super beautiful and it's challenging in its own right. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of excitement for what is next. As I've said, I'm very excited to go home to my support system and, and, you know, start doing whatever is next in my life. But right now I'm here and I am very glad that, uh, myself and my family are going to take our time to get to the end. And yeah, I know that everyone, I know that that's not a very common thought process, I guess I should say. Um, the vast majority of people we come across out here, um, it's almost like a sprint to the end. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's just a different way of hiking. Um, so yeah, so we're getting to meet a lot of people out here who have been behind us and are ramping up. And that is really awesome in its own right. It's actually kind of coming full circle and reminding me of our first week in Georgia when everyone was new and everyone was, you know, some repeated conversations, but really cool interactions of getting to meet people and hear their stories, where they're from, why they're hiking. So the trail really comes full circle for me in that way. But yep, just some musings on the end of trail here and how I intend to bring this whole trail to a conclusion. All right, until next time, we'll see where I'm at. Happy hiking. Hey y'all, Witch Doctor here. this is our last uh, wild card episode, and in true wild card fashion, I'm just gonna, you know, shoot from the cuff. Uh, I'm gonna be talking about a little bit of soul searching. Um, sitting here at Upper Goose Pond uh, on the dock here, and uh, just looking out at the water, and uh, kind of taking a couple few days away from my family, and just been hiking alone. Um, Again, doing the soul searching thing. Uh, the whole reason for that um, is to kind of take back my hike a little bit, hike my own hike. Um, when you're in a tramley, and I believe me, I love my tramley. Um, uh, not all the decisions are, are yours to make when, and that's you know obvious in, in any relationship. Um, but uh, you know the decisions about where you're going to stop, how many miles you're going to do. You gonna stay at a shelter? You gonna stay at a campsite? Are you gonna stop in town? Um, all those decisions end up being group decisions, and uh, um, at this point in my hike, just really kind of want to make all the decisions uh, for myself. Um, we're at the end of Massachusetts, getting into Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine um, coming up here, and those are some of the states I've been looking forward to the most, and really didn't want to leave any of the planning as far as the things I wanted to do in those states uh, up for, you know, decision or influence um, from other people. I really wanted it to be my hike. So um, that's a reason for the last couple of days to just uh, set out on my own. Um, it's been a motivating thing for me. Uh, I've been uh, doing more miles than I had been 
leading up into that decision, we had taken a day in the city, which was awesome. Um, and then we had a, a short 10-mile day, which we shortened because of rain and um, or impending rain and uh, because of campsites that were allegedly too far away to get to. And uh, something was just was just off in that decision for me. And so the next day, kind of had a slow start, took my time and went into a town nearby and uh, got some ice cream, fed some birds and we just had a really good time by myself. And uh, so I kind of made the decision then that, you know, like the next couple of days we're just we'll, we'll strike it out alone and um, it's been a really enjoyable experience uh, thus far, just kind of reconnecting with uh, myself and the trail. Uh, it doesn't hurt that the um, scenery out here in, in northern May, uh, Massachusetts has, has kind of opened up and you got a lot of awesome pine forest and um, you're not kind of socked in by a thicket of trees uh, anymore and you have beautiful lakes like the one I'm at now and uh, it's 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 been an enjoyable experience and I'm just I'm, I'm loving it so far I'm loving you know being by myself and being able to to you know make all this decisions for my hike and, and truly make it my hike um, and that seems counterintuitive because I've I've said since the beginning that it's it's the people that you meet on this on this through hike that kind of make the experience um so you would think hiking alone uh, runs counter to that, but um, you know there's still people all over the trail. Um, so, like the the shelter we stayed at or cabin we stayed at at Goose Pond, um, there are probably 15 people here, and they're all new faces, friendly faces, and it's been um, you know you're never without people to talk to uh, and meet up, and so. Um, and I still have that, that autonomy as far as, as, as planning my trail and, and getting what I want out of this. Um, so that's been really the, the biggest change, um, was just this soul searching part of my hike. And, uh, with that said, I am going to jump into this pond right now and continue this journey that I have of hiking my own hike and doing my own thing thanks for listening y'all and we will catch up with you next time until then witch doctor out Elke again. So meanwhile we have already uh, reached uh, New Hampshire and the Mo White Mountains and yes what should I say I can't they say that I am happy about it and that I can say um, oh what a beautiful mountains and what a beautiful way and that I enjoy the hike um, I'm not sure um, I'm sometimes I really scared of a path because um, 
it's sometimes so awfully rocky and so steep. Um, up the hill and also down the hill. So I sometimes worry about that I fall down and that I can't go any further. And uh, the first Muselag was okay because um, I slack packed. So um, I um, actually I do that very often. I have done it month ago once and now I thought okay I do that I try it and um, I we um, hiked up to the mountain to the top of it and um, uh, unfortunately it started to rain um, up there and it was so rainy and foggy and cold that uh, we couldn't stay there and we uh, were very happy to reach the tree line again so that, were, that we had no wind anymore and then it uh, goes very steep down but it was it was okay so but the next mountains the uh, Lafayette the Lincoln and Mount Garfield uh, we didn't slack pack I had on my backpack on my back and um, it was it was on the top of the mountains it was really really nice and we had a, such a nice view but up We had to go up from Mount Lafayette and it was so steep and I was so scary that I would fall down and um, then we was in the notch and we had to go up again to Mount Garfield because otherwise we didn't, uh, we haven't reached um, the next campsite and it was, it was awful, I, I, it was so terrible for me and I was really crying and I wanted to go home and I wanted to break break up my trip and everything but I had to go further and then um, when we reached the next campsite um, I only wanted to go into my tent and didn't wanted to do anything else and yes and um, the next morning the next morning um, Okay, um, I wanted to go further with Tilly and then we uh, even walk hey, 20 minutes and then we reached a waterfall and we didn't have to cross the waterfall, we had to go along the waterfall and that scares me so much, so much. Um, I went back to the campsite and then I asked the caretaker there um, if there's another way just up down to the street. I didn't want to go any further and he said, ah oh, yes, you can go the Garfield Trail and that's much better and then you are on the street again. Okay, I was really happy about that and I did that and then, um, yes, and I think four hours later I was on the street and somebody um, gave me a ride into uh, uh, the town um, Woodstock and I was so glad about it that I'm not on that awfully mountain and yes maybe when I uh, would uh, go in a group or when there are somebody else who, who I can hike with it would be A lot, of, a lot of things would be much easier, but when you are there alone and you stood for a big rock or for a steep, steep section, um, it's not, it's not my my one. It's, um, I don't like that. So, 
I really, I really uh, think maybe I should skip all the mountains and should go further on to Maine. So I'm not sure. I have to de- have made a decision to go further or to go fly home to Germany. I'm not sure what I should do, but um, that the things uh, which goes around my head and um, yes. Um, it's it's really hard for me to push myself to go further and to reach the end in Kithead and and but yes you will hear from me again and you I will tell you what the decision I have made already. Ciao. radio coming at you live from Williams Bay, Wisconsin. Yes, that is correct. I am off the trail. Big shout out to Moron for uh, sharing that with everyone on the last episode of Trail Correspondence. It has been a crazy few weeks since I summited Katahdin on July 18th. Um, I know we have future episodes to talk more specifically about the finish and what that experience was like. So I thought for today, for the wild card episode, I'd kind of get you all caught up to speed on what exactly life has been like in the real world, so to speak, since I've been back uh, off the trail. So to start off, um, I was very fortunate when I finished the trail um, that my family and some friends had come out to visit my girlfriend. And so right after I finished, and really everyone in my family was in that same boat, we were able to get off Katahdin and there was literally snacks and people basically tailgating uh, at the bottom of Katahdin. No alcohol, of course, uh, but lots of snacks and deli sandwiches, chips, all that sort of good stuff. So that was a really good start uh, to getting trail magic right after finishing. Um, even a few folks went up the mountain with us, which was amazing. And I, I have to say, I know it was the last mountain on the AT, but it has to be the best. Um, it was just an awesome, awesome hike. We had it on a pretty good day. There was a little bit of haze, but generally speaking, it was a fantastic day. Um, then we made our way into Millinocket. We went to a restaurant right across from the, the Appalachian Trail Hostel, and uh, that's where I met my family. So it was great to see them and be un- reunited for the first time in, in a few months. Um, from there, our plan was to kind of do a main road show uh, across all the different areas that you want to see in Maine. My mom's obsessed with some shows that take place in Maine, so we visited some of those locations. We went to Acadia um, and then made our way to Boston to fly home. So adding a family vacation on top of the AT hike sounded like a really good idea uh, in theory, <laughs> just because it would be nice to explore Maine and it's a beautiful state. But it ended up being a little bit overwhelming, Um, and I kind of had wished by the time that the vacation was over that maybe I had just gone home right away. Uh, And that is no offense to my family, who I know is listening to this, and my girlfriend. It just was kind of culture shock going from Katahdin and the little town of Millinocket, and then the next day we were in Bar Harbor, Maine, which if you're from the East Coast, you know that Bar Harbor is insanely packed during the summer, and Acadia is overwhelmingly packed, and I'm sure it wasn't anything above average. It just was wild though, going for like, we hiked the beehive trail in Acadia and I was used to seeing, you know, maybe four or five people a day when we were going through the AT, 
you know, obviously the Smokies and Shenandoah a little bit more. Uh, but then you, it felt like a conga line <laughs> when I was hiking the beehive. It was just, there was, everybody was on the trail and there was no kind of peace and quiet. So that was pretty overwhelming. And by that point I was like, I just kind of want to go home. Um, I'm tired of being on vacation and tired of feeling like, um, I don't know where I'm going to sleep the the next night. So that was probably my most challenging experience coming back. Obviously it was very nice to be on vacation with family, but I think it was a little bit too much, um, and then since then, I've been back to work. I had two weeks off and started on August 1st. Um, I went back to my old job, which was a blessing, um, especially for financial reasons. It's kind of nice to not have to worry about a job search and um, making money right away. But that's been very hectic. Um, it's a very good feeling <laughs> to know you have a job and especially a place that I really enjoy working at. But it's also, you kind of realize... Um, at least for me, and I feel a little silly saying this even, that uh, there's just a lot of stress with work <laughs> in general. And I didn't really feel that stress when I was on the trail for five months. So that's been a big adjustment for me. Um, like it's been funny. I would keep on telling folks this story. Like I'm stressed about an email, but I wasn't stressed about finding clean water. <laughs> it just feels so ridiculous. Um to kind of think through that way is like obviously the clean water is the much higher priority when you look at life at a high level but all that is to say it's been an adjustment coming back to trail I feel like everything else has been okay like my physicality I haven't gained a ton of weight um I haven't uh I've been staying relatively active mostly just walking um but yeah the mental side has been a little bit more challenging than I would have expected I think lastly, I just want to talk about the 100-mile wilderness uh, for the folks that are, um, you know, correspondents that are still out there or maybe in the 100-mile wilderness right now or maybe have already finished. Um, I just want to say that I think that was kind of a crazy experience for me. Um, We ended up doing the 100-mile wilderness in four days. We did a 19-mile day, a 19-mile day, and then two 29-mile days. And then the morning of the fifth day, we did like three or four miles to get to the gas station outside of the 100 mile wilderness at Abel Bridge. Um, and that was a little bit like as I look back, we did it for a lot of good reasons. We did it because one, we didn't buy enough food, which was ironic because it was the last stretch of the trail where the most experienced we've ever been. You would have thought that we would have known exactly what sorts of food to buy and make sure we didn't run out. And two, um, we were all ready to be done by that point, I would say, relatively speaking, um, all at different terms with that. But so we were just boogieing every single day and the bugs were terrible. <laughs> so as, as fun as it would have been to just sit and play by a lake and do a zero in the hundred mile wilderness, we didn't really have a chance to do that because one, we didn't pack enough food and two, the bugs really got to us. So we would just hike all day and then jump into our tents, right? As soon as we were done cooking after dinner and there was still fun to be had and we still had good conversations. Um, but the bugs really were, were brutal. So I hope for everyone who's finishing in August, September, October, that the bugs have died off because <laughs> it really impacted our hike uh, in the 100 mile. But it did all turn out okay when we got to the birches near Katahdin. Um, that was a really, really fun day. We took out the canoes and Daisy Pond and hung out uh, at the birches for a long time playing games and having a campfire with some friends. So that was that was great. I think that's it for this wild card. So nothing too unique, just an update. Uh, again, thank you all for the support. As Moron mentioned, I did do a daily podcast every day when I was on the trail. Um, if you want to check that out, it's called whereisjakeat.com. Um, 
it's on Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. Feel free to, to leave it a listen um, if you are interested in hearing more about the specifics of my hike. But for now, this is Radio signing off. Hello, this is Mary, and this is Assignment 10, a wild card. And so for this wild card, it's just going to be another update with what I was doing on trail. And I say was because I've been off trail for about seven days. I injured my foot coming into Snoqualmie Pass. And it turns out Snoqualmie Pass is not far from where I live. It's just probably like a 40-mile drive to Issaquah. So I lucked out, but also at the same time, I was rushing, and it was raining that day. So... When, well, it was like the last three miles, I was going to take a step and my right foot got stuck on a root and my left leg was going to go down like a weird slab of rock and it ended up sliding down and my right leg just ended up twisting awkwardly, but more or less it ended up hurting the arch of my foot because I was making it go in a way that really wasn't meant to be going, even though it was just weird. Anyway, I hurt it and it still hurts and so I'm just going to wait it out and give it another week and hopefully it's fine. And, and yeah, at this point, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm doing this weird ass section hiking right now at this point. Anyway, I ended up starting at um, Timberline Lodge and I decided to go Nobo. Um, I wanted to meet up this woman who I met in Tehachapi. Um, She's another maker and I really wanted to hike with her and talk shop. It's just kind of nice when you meet somebody who likes to do what you like to do. Anyway, I ended up meeting her at Cascade Locks. I started a little bit differently than her just to see how I was faring mile wise and I was doing about 17 miles from the start so when I met her in Cascade Lock she kind of had been struggling with wanting to get off trail and so she kind of forced herself to kind of do the next section but she really didn't want to do it and she just kind of had this really negative and sour attitude and was just like I don't want to be here I don't know why I'm doing this and just I don't know I felt like some of that was starting to rub off on me And then also too, she was like looking for somebody to tell her to go home. She didn't want to make the decision. And I just told her, I was like, if you don't want to hike anymore, get off trail, but it needs to be your decision. Don't be putting it on somebody else because this is going to be a decision that you're going to have to live with. And that's not something that should be put on somebody else to decide for you too. So she ended up getting off at Trout Lake and ended up hiking with the people she was hiking with, which was a man and a woman who's my age. And there was a weird thing going on by the time I started hiking with them. They were like flirty, flirty, and one of them's married. And it's not to the other person. And they were also sharing a tent. But that only happened once they started hiking with me. So it just kind of made things a little bit awkward for me. And it was actually nice kind of hiking with them. Unfortunately, sometimes it was just like I wasn't there. They were mostly talking to each other. And I didn't really care either because I can just read. I really do like reading. So it was fine with me because I'm a little antisocial too. So I just felt like I really didn't have to be social with them. But I did have the luxury of camping with somebody. Anyway, once we started hiking with each other, we started doing more miles. When the other lady was around, we were probably doing 10 to 13 miles a day. We were lucky if we did 15. And when it was us, we started doing at least 18, sometimes 20. We actually ended up having trail magic. Um, He was probably my first real big trail magic that I ever had besides somebody giving me like a piece of fruit, which was actually that same day by two different people, one before and one after. 
Anyway, thank you, Mr. Ed. You brought a whole freaking spread and I appreciated it so much. Mr. Ed came out specifically to do trail magic for one of the people I was hiking with. And so that was just, I lucked out. I had not had trail magic like that so far this time. And thank you. And hiking to Snoqualmie Pass, everything was great. Knife's Edge was beautiful, like really freaking beautiful. Um, we ended up doing the red route. We did, there were like three snow sections we had across. I know people were commenting that it was sketchy and dangerous. I did hike in 2017, so I didn't really have a problem with it. The other two people who are who I was hiking with, they didn't have an issue with it. Um, if I felt my steps weren't secure, I did kick steps in to make it a little bit more secure. I'm the shortest person, so I always have an issue with taking steps because they're either too big or they're just not placed right for me. But I got through okay, and I also got to add, I am scared of heights, and I was still okay. But if you've never done anything like this and you are scared of heights and you haven't managed, managed that fear very well, you probably don't want to do it. I also didn't use an ice axe or micro spikes. I just used my regular shoes. The mosquitoes weren't that bad for the sections I did in Washington so far. I think the worst for me was Trout Lake. Those fuckers were eating me like nobody's business. I was using 100% DEET and they were still biting me. My wing scapula on my left side of my shoulder did get fixed. I think using trekking poles helped stretch it out. For the shoes I was hiking with, I just ended up putting the inserts that came with the shoes and my hiking was fine. I didn't have any issues with just kind of tripping easily over rocks. Um, so I just definitely can't use a stiffer insole. My diet, my diet absolutely sucks. The day I was hiking into Snoqualmie Pass, I hiked 16 miles with just coffee and two crappy little Quaker bars. I also saw my first bear. At first I thought it was like a burnt piece of wood and I made a noise and it turned around and looked at me and it was a bear. It was just like a teen bear, but I just scared it away and it just ran away. But I think that was it for my hike so far. Hey everyone, it's Minstrel. So I'm recording this the night before I cross over into Washington. I made it to Cascade Locks, the border between Oregon and Washington on the PCT, actually yesterday. Uh, that is August uh, 11th, I believe. Yeah, August 11th. And I had to take a trip to Portland for some errands. Luckily, there's a little bus that goes between the two, and I'm staying with, with a good friend of mine. And tomorrow I go back to Cascade Locks and I'm going to be crossing the Bridge of the Gods into Washington. And it's amazing. I can't believe it. Like, it feels, I mean, it was literally about three weeks ago that I crossed over into Oregon. And then I've just been pushing and pushing. And so much so that I even, I even had to, to split up with my hiking partner, Ketchup, whom I grew really close to. But it's really shown me this interesting dichotomy because, you know, I'm really excited to be on the other end of this hike. I have 500 miles and change left. I think 505 miles or something. 
I have what I know is going to be some of the most spectacular trail that I've seen because I've hiked in Washington a good amount already. I'm excited for goat rocks. I'm excited for all the views of Tahoma or Mount Rainier. I can't wait for Washington. But I'm also excited to be on the other side of this, and I'm excited to go back to my non-hiking life and do the work that I, I really enjoy doing. And I know that I'm going to miss this hike, but the thing that I'm really thinking about these days is what have I learned on trail that I can incorporate into my non-trail life. And I'm not quite sure what that is yet. I've been thinking about this actually for a while, since Northern California, at least, because I love who I am out here. I love being minstrel. I love being feral. I love this freedom of just walking all day, every day. But it comes at a a very real price. It comes at a monetary price. It comes at uh, an emotional price. It's it's hard to, to do this and not be in contact, close contact with my communities or my friends or my partners. Like, it's just, you're out here You have maybe trail family, often not. And it's a little isolating at times. So I'm trying to figure... I love who I am when I'm doing that, though. And and it's a really hard thing to, to parse out and to put together. Who you are on trail, you know, it it's almost... It's almost like like who you are when, you know, you're inebriated, like your real self comes out when you strip away the city, when you strip away all of the luxuries and the niceties that you have. And then when you're out there hiking, helping others, maybe, what you do then when you're not responsible to society. I think that's really who you are. And I want to incorporate more of that into my city life. I don't even want to say my real life because I feel like it's more real out here in some ways, in many ways. But a lot of that, I don't quite know what that would look like yet. And I, I'm i really trying to get comfortable with the fact that maybe, maybe yes, you know, of course, you learn how to be more flexible. You learn how to adapt to changes and to plans. You learn that you can overcome a lot more than you thought you could out here on trail. But there's something deeper. There's something something I'm missing and I'm really trying to get comfortable with the fact that I may not understand or realize 
what that is until I've been back in city life for a while, until I'm working regularly again and stressing out over that. That's where I am with this wild card. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what makes Minstrel different from Eddie and how can I bring him back with me into the city. Bonjour, this is Shitwater Fireball, Queen of the Salamanders. And I just finished an abysmal climb down that was more like just falling down the side of a cliff, uh, which is okay, um, except... Right, St. John's. Ah, St. John's Ledges. We didn't really zoom in on the map. I'm here with Honey Bun and also Love Child, who's gone mute. Um, <laughs> but we all, uh, we all have been hiking together for the past two days. And so far, in those two days, yesterday, um, my ass chafe got literally so bad that... I was <laughs> walking to the shelter, and um, first of all, coming out of the country store, it's not so great. Like, I can feel a little bit of chafe, and it's not really that swell. And I'm waddling a little bit, walking down this little road, and I'm like, okay, things will be fine as long as it's like, I just keep my legs wide and keep up this cowboy stance. And then we get into the forest, and... Uh, the mosquitoes are getting really bad. So it's either I slow down and the ass chafe doesn't hurt as bad, or I speed up because the mosquitoes are just eating me. Because if I speed up, then the mosquitoes won't eat me as bad. And at the same time, I'm applying 90% DEET on myself. So my arms are burning and I'm convincing myself that it's like icy hot. Um, <laughs> but it's also starting to chemically burn me. Uh, and so... It, then it started thunderstorming, which Love Child and I were heckling the thunderstorm for a while and making it, trying to make it rain, and eventually it did. And uh, then the, I think the DEET washed off of my body and into my ass chief because I started screaming because uh, my ass was just burning and it was super unpleasant. And so I just wound up taking off my pants and walking literally bottomless for the next mile or so to the shelter. And that was a low, not gonna lie. Um, so the bugs are really bad here. Ass chafe is also really bad. Um, but now we're in Connecticut. So uh, hopefully things will look up. There's rock boxes. There's, <laughs> there's rock. There's so many rock boxes. I don't even know why they exist. <laughs> what is the point of a rock box? <laughs> like, why do I need a box for my rocks? Um, like, I can effective than a bog bridge. More effort to maintain, and you just have to haul in a bunch of rocks. The it's so dumb. The town of Kent, super weird. Yeah, it makes no sense to me. But anyways, that's me. Here with my ass chafe, suffering a little bit. Um, 
I hope you have a chance to walk pantsless somewhere and just really enjoy that free-flowing air on whatever genitalia you have and have a lovely, lovely day. Goodbye. This is summer, and today I'm recording from the trail. I am just leaving Castle Crags State Park here in Northern California. Um, and today is wild card episode, so I decided to talk about um, body image and food and disordered eating on trail. Um, so bit of a continuation on last episode on diet um but yeah so it's something that I think about a lot um as someone with you know a history of food or disordered eating eating disorder and body image issues for really as long as I can remember. Um, I was in, I've done a lot of work over the years, so I was in like a pretty okay place before the trail or I wouldn't have come out here, but still, I think I'm just someone who is prone to struggling with that stuff. Um, and it's been an interesting experience so far. So currently have less than 800 miles left of the trail and the journey so far has been quite interesting you know I've gone from early in the trail um I mean even through the whole desert really I was still comparing my body to other people um and feeling like you know well, why, why are they losing weight and I'm not? Or why do they look more toned or whatever? Like, just comparing myself a lot and being unhappy with my body. Um, and just thinking about it a lot more. And the place I'm at now... Um, Every day, like, I get to camp and I'm just so amazed (laughs) at what my body did that day. You know, like, I'm consistently hiking usually, like, 12 to 14 hours a day now. And doing, you know, so many miles and so much elevation. And every day I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. You just did that. (laughs) And I don't care how it looks. You know, like, for the first time in my life, I'm doing something physical with my body, and it's not conditional on how it looks. You know, I grew up dancing, and even if you were super flexible or could do these tricks or whatever, could turn, it still was always conditional on how you looked. Like, you could be the best, 
not that I was the best, but you know, you could be really good, really talented, but you know, maybe you have a little extra, you know, here and there and your lines just aren't going to look as clean or whatever. So yeah, it's been really freeing to be out here and just be so like physically and mentally you know, tired at the end of the day that I'm like, I could care less how I look right now (laughs) or if my thighs are too big or whatever, quote unquote, too big, you know, right? Like, but, and I think it's interesting and I've thought about, you know, like, well, why, yeah, why did I feel early on like so disappointed that I wasn't losing weight? And I think it really comes from like in the Thuraken community, there is a big emphasis on losing weight. Um, you know, I, I definitely saw plenty of before and after pictures before I came out. Um, people before trail and people after trail. And, oh, look how, how much smaller they are. Even though we all know it is not sustainable at all. You know, like you can't go from hiking 30 plus miles a day and eating like kind of ridiculous food to eat in a day-to-day life you know like no vegetables no anything of you know (laughs) freshness um and then expect somehow that to like translate into everyday life like that's just absurd so I don't know why we you know, praise the weight loss from through hiking when it's not sustainable and it's not healthy. Usually I will say like all the people that I've met who have lost a lot of weight, like a lot of them, you know, is like going through the Sierra and stuff where they literally could not carry enough food because, you know, they were doing a 14 day food carry. So they were literally just starving. Like that is not healthy and that is not sustainable. And why would that be praised? Um, not saying that that's like, terrible and they're bad people for doing that I'm just saying it shouldn't be praised you know um so I don't know I think the Thurai community has a lot of work to do on that but I do think it can get better and I think that we can have more of these conversations about it and make it less of a taboo thing to talk about um But I just think that, yeah, the effort has to be made and starts with conversations like this. So, yeah, that is all I have to say today. Um, Until next time, this is Summer signing out. Howdy gang, this is David Ferrari, trail name Good Soup, and I'm signing in from the Appalachian Trail, and in keeping with my customs, I'm recording this while climbing up a hill, but it's special because this is, assuming I have my letters correct, Wildcat E in the White Mountains, which I'm told is the steepest ascent on the AT. So let's see what my lungs can do. On this last wildcard episode, 
I wanted to talk about something that was important to my thru-hike that I don't think always gets a lot of attention, and that's maintaining a relationship while you are physically separated because you decide to go and do a thru-hike. <laughs> I'm sure there's a shorter way of saying that. But, yes, yeah, so, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I have a partner waiting for me back home named Abby. If you listen to, I think, the second episode, she interviewed me. She's great. I could fill a few hours talking about why she's great, but I'm not allowed to. There's a time limit, so just know that she's amazing. And so... Part of the challenge of this trail is maintaining the relationship while I'm hundreds of miles away and knowing I was going to spend half a year away from her. So I'm going to talk about some things I did or we did that were useful and I felt helped make the distance not be so bad and of course as with any relationship advice in general I am saying things that seem to work for my relationship think of these as possible tools you could try out on your through hike if you're away from someone but every relationship is different so you just have to see what works for you and what doesn't which is kind of the first thing is see what works for you and what doesn't um you might have a plan for what you're communicating is going to look like when you leave for the trail like i'm gonna text you every day and i'm gonna do this and this or whatever and those things can change and what I felt was important is setting the expectation early on in the through hike, even before I left the trail of, here's the things I'm hoping we can do to stay in touch, but I don't know what it's going to actually be like once I get out there. And I hope that we can both be flexible, especially in the first month or two, as I figure out what kind of cell signal do I actually have out here, or how often do I get into a town to send a postcard. So the first one is definitely um, setting good expectations, and sometimes setting expectations means just be, just being honest with me, like, I don't know what communicating is going to look like when I get out here, but just know that I am going to do my best to stay in touch, um, which has worked out well for us, avoiding um, any like strict promises of like, I'm going to send a postcard at every single, it's like, no, 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 like, I'm gonna reach out as much as I can, and sometimes I'm gonna have bad signal and I won't be able to reach out. I think I've made that point clear. Um, other little things we've done, um, We've been able to maintain a Snapchat streak 
throughout most of this. I think we like missed a day or two, but as I'm here on what is my, yeah, like 166th day since I started, we currently have a Snapchat streak of about 110. Uh, and for those who are not aware of Snapchat, it's a messaging app um, that kind of, while you can't text on it, it pr prompts you to like, or it's mostly meant for like sending photos to each other and if you each send a photo to each other um, every day it'll keep track of the streak of how many days you've done it which is kind of like a nice little like oh I gotta make sure I send a snap today so that we can keep that going and then that's just kind of keeping us in touch get to see each other's faces or you know photos of pets which is always nice um, other thing I do is I try to send postcards from the trail when I can. Uh, personally, I write um, poems, mostly on the subject of how much I miss her, <laughs> um, and send them up to her, just so there's little, like, in a way, like, treats in the mail of like, oh, you got a postcard, I wrote something sappy on it, which is nice. Um, and then, so the, I mean, those are little things like that. I've done things like send little AT related gifts from the trail. The other thing I've got to say is that watch out. Good Soup is going to talk about his Crohn's disease on an episode again. Crazy. Um, because I have to go home every eight weeks for my infusion, uh, the first of which happened three weeks into my hike, I got to see her after three weeks and then two months after that and then two months after that, which was a really nice thing because, I mean, of course, the thing that prompted me to come back was for medical reasons, but I always got to spend like half a day to two days uh, spending time with her and just reconnecting and um, catching up and just, you know, being together and kind of recharging the battery as much as we can in those few days. I hiked with someone for the first quarter of the trail who got off trail. I'm oversimplifying a bit, but mostly because he missed his spouse. Uh, and he came back out and hiked with me a little bit in Vermont. And he, and his opinion was that, you know, soup, uh, going back every, you know, two months or so, or some little fixed, like head back home and see your partner might be the ticket for how to do it. Because then you get to take time off your legs to rest and you get to be with loved ones. So that's, that's two people who think just going home, if you can swing it, um, I mean, obviously I had to go home to get medical treatment, but you might just want to consider just doing that anyway, just to, you know, it's what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is I get some people feel like if I get off trail, I'm going to lose all my momentum and lose my trail legs and a little, it's like, sure. It's anecdotal evident, but let me be proof that you can like every two months or so go home for about a week, not hike, eat a bunch of food spend time with loved ones and come back to the trail and still keep hiking the trail. Um, like, is it hard leaving home every time? Yes, but I know that I want to hike this trail and I know that if I don't finish the trail, I'm going to go, oh, I didn't finish the trail. So that's why I'm heading back out every time. Um, the other thing that I think I've seen a lot of other hikers with partners do, partners who are not on the trail with them, is your partner coming out and visiting you is always a delight because then you get to stay in trail mode a bit. 
um, but you get to see someone you're with, take some zeros with them. Um, when Abby, Abby came and visited, um, uh, it was, so after my second infusion where I was in Virginia, she came out a month after that, which is nice because then I saw her when I went home for the second infusion. I saw her a month later and then a month later I came home for my third infusion, which worked out and made the, the gap between seeing her a lot more bearable. Um, so yeah, if your partner comes out, you're able to share the trail with them. If your partner hikes, you can even get some miles in. We did two 10-mile days, and it happened to line up with the halfway point of the trail this year, which is nice. I got to share a highlight of the trail with her. And also, I think it's I think it's really nice to, like, if you go and hike with them, um, you if, if they're not normally someone who goes hiking or hiking the way that a through-hiking requires, they can get a taste of, like this is what I do basically every day. Or like, in that case, like these two 10 mile days, I would have done them in one day, you know, that kind of thing. So it really helps your partner, um, I feel, really get an image for, this is what I'm doing when I say I hike 20 miles, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so those are just a few things that um, I've done to help maintain and even in some aspects grow my relationship because definitely maintaining things long distance, I feel, uh, well, I'll just use a cliche and be like, absence makes the heart grow fonder, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, hopefully, um, even if the ideas I presented, you, if you don't think that'll work in your relationship, if you come out and do a hike, at the very least, listening to this might prompt you to be like, you should put some conscious energy into how are you going to maintain your relationship before you come out on the trail and have that conversation with your partner. Um, yeah. So, anyway, that's important to me. I just want to talk about it while I have the floor. Thank you for listening. I'm going to go keep throwing myself up and down the, the White Mountains here and having a good time doing so. Hope everyone's having a, a good time wherever you're listening. And uh, be good to yourself, be good to others. And this is Good Soup signing out. Bye-bye. That's a wrap on this last wildcard edition of Trail Correspondence. Join us next time as our contributors will talk about the mental game they've played on trail. And don't worry, I won't bring up bidets again. Though, feel free to slip into the DMs if you've now found yourself a little bidet curious. Until then, I am your host Moron, and this is Trail Correspondence. Happy trails, y'all!